0: Hey y'all, welcome to the visit Roswell podcast where we talk all things tourism and hospitality related in Roswell, Georgia. We will be interviewing our partners all throughout the community and hopefully inspiring you to plan a trip to visit Roswell at your natural pace. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the visit Roswell podcast, where we talk all things hospitality and tourism related to the uh, Roswell destination and today we've got an exciting guest on somebody who has uh, become to be well known in the community it's got um, a big job and a lot of responsibility who has really joined us a couple of years ago from all the way across the country and that is Jeff Leatherman our director of the Roswell Recreation Parks Historic and Cultural Affairs Department. Jeff good to have you on.
1: Glad to be here. It's always a pleasure to be able to hang out and talk about what's going on in Roswell.
0: Absolutely, you got it. So, you know, I kind of gave a little teaser about where you've come from, but you literally came across the country to land in Roswell. So, give us a little bit of background on what you were doing before this gig and and what brought you into the area.
1: I know, West Coast to East Coast, and couldn't be happier um, about the move. And so, you know, before this, professionally, I was um, managing and I was the director for Sacramento County's Regional Parks uh, Department, so covered the entire county, Sacramento, uh, managed about 60,000 acres of parkland, and really was kind of that open space, trails, and river park system uh, for the county, and so as you look at Um, kind of some of the draw factors um, of Roswell, the Chattahoochee River, and for me in California, the American River have a lot of similarities. Um, But that even before that, I was working down in Southern California uh, for about 10 years, uh, running a recreation and parks department down there that uh, covered three incorporated cities, served about 200,000 people uh, in our service area, Um, Inside of those three cities, and we ran um, very similar to the city all kinds of parks and recreation um, programs and activities and aquatic centers and facilities. But you know, reality is my career started back when I was about 12, 13, 14 years old, and I started volunteering. Um, in my hometown, uh, working for the rec department, but then also volunteering to uh, earn my ski pass. And so we worked the parking lots uh, back in the day as part of our ski team and then transitioned professionally into lifeguard and summer camp counselor and truly took the path um, of a recreation professional, uh, both before college, through college, and then after college. So it's really been a lifestyle choice for me, gosh, probably since I was 14, 15 years old.
0: So you actually majored in it? You went to school for it then?
1: I do. So I have my degree in recreation administration. Um, I have a community and commercial recreation emphasis and then a marketing minor uh, that kind of rounds out my bachelor's of science degree. So it's essentially a business degree that also sprinkles in recreation theory, recreational classes, but then also local government um, and the um, political science aspects of local government and operating recreation programs.
0: That's awesome. I don't, I don't think I realize that about your marketing, too. Um, you know, I, my degree is in tourism and commercial recreation with a minor in marketing, marketing management. So I didn't know we were similar in that area, but uh, that's good stuff. And it's, I feel like you see a lot of people in the recreation sector that kind of end up in it. So the fact that you, you know, went for it from the get-go is, is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, we tend to be a, a found major. I remember my first rec class, like the 101 class, yeah. and I was the only freshman in the class. Everybody else was either juniors or seniors because they had already been through kind of their first two years and were figuring out that this was a pretty cool place to be. And so um, I was one of the very few um, freshmen in those classes for sure. That's
0: awesome. Yep. Yep. I know. I know it all too well. It makes a lot of sense. Um, that's great. Well, so let's talk about the park system specifically. Um, and, you know, a lot of people might be asking, why are we talking tourism and parks? You know, because parks are typically frequented, um, Yeah, I would say, predominantly by residents. But then when you have assets like ours, you do draw a lot uh, from outside of the community. And, and for me, I think it directly relates uh, into a quality of life issue. And when you've got a great park system with regard to the actual physical spaces, but also the programming, then you've got... I mean, I think that ties directly into your quality of life of that community. and I'm a you know a believer that people want to travel to destinations that have a great quality of life. so what what is it specifically about our park system where we stand out and really shine?
1: We have and and you know ties back into that career destination place for me. But we as a department, but more importantly as a city, You know, regardless of whose department they fall into, we have these assets that people are trying to manufacture in our own community. We have them naturally and we have them organically. And what I mean by that is we have the Chattahoochee River. You can't manufacture that destination um, in and around the city. It has to be there naturally. We also have the history of our community with our historic assets. The Old Mill Machine Shop. We have um, the uh, Vickery Falls as part of that. But then you also have then a national park system that is literally embedded inside the city limits. And when you start to look at those kinds of assets from kind of a tourism and destination quality of life, you're able to drive in our community and access uh, different locations throughout our community that would normally be reserved for the mountains of Georgia, or normally be reserved for kind of what people I think envision of themselves going out to Aspen, Colorado, and you have these Um, long trips that you have to take get on an airplane and then now you're finally out hiking someplace And reality is is you can go on a 10 mile hike not see a house in um in the area and access that almost solely within the limits of the city of roswell and and to have those types of recreational assets starts to meld and blend in kind of this quality of life and this destination making where people are happy and healthy being here But then they're also beyond that, they have an opportunity um, to come in and visit what's happening here locally. And so you've got those two kinds of pieces that are here together and it's an easy weekend trip. It's easy to come from the perimeter or inside the perimeter, take a half hour drive, come to Roswell and feel like you have a destination um, right here at your fingertips. So it's not an all day drive or a two day drive, it's 30 minutes and here you are. And you have that luxury of life and you start to talk around the tourism piece you can go take that five or 10 or two mile hike, feel like you've been in the wilderness and then jump out, take a quick walk. And now you've got Moxie burger. You've got a a beer that you can grab someplace, or you can go and hang out in a park more locally, um, enjoy walking your dog or maybe cut them loose in a dog park. And you can do that right here in our community.
0: It's awesome. It's um, I mean, it's, it was a huge draw for me looking at Roswell. It's a, it's a draw obviously for my family being excited to relocate here. Um, And, you know, I grew up in the the Atlanta area, but Roswell, you know, to say that it has it all sounds like a cliche, but it really does. And we hear all the time from people that say they're out on the trails hiking, you know, down by Vickery Falls and and kind of in that CRNRA area. And they can't understand how close they are to Atlanta because it truly feels like they're in the North Georgia mountains. Um, it's, it's amazing. So totally agree with you on that. Um, so when I mentioned earlier that you have a lot of responsibility, you know, it's a big department, you have a lot of staff, but you touch a lot of different things. And, um, you know, some other communities, you might just be over the recreation programming and the fields and the athletic, but here you're also over those historic and cult- cultural affairs. And, and those include three of our historic homes that are open to the public for touring. There's programming that happens at those locations also. And then we've got a new one in the mix, Mimosa Hall. So. Can you walk us through what the what the experience is at those homes, you know what visitors who have visited previously, maybe a couple of years ago might see differently now, how how does that tie into the plan.
1: Yeah, and we have, and, and you're right that, you know, I think the, the department as a whole, you normally wouldn't find all of these mixed together. But just as we talked about two minutes ago, you normally wouldn't find these kinds of assets in a community. And so it drives at the need to be looking at them holistically. Um, and, you know, we have the, the kind of four what you would call antebellum homes, but then we're also adding Doc's Cafe into that part of the organization. And that leads into you know, what is the evolution of our conversation around the historic assets? And the historic assets are Bullock, Mimosa, Smith Plantation, Mimosa, um, and Barrington, um, alongside of Doc's Cafe, telling the whole story about our community from its founding through the transition of the Civil Rights Movement to where we are now. And and really, that's what we want the homes to be, is we want them not only to be a gathering place of the community to create dialogue um, about what our history has been, but also looking forward about what our future can be. Um, and that's really the plan for Mimosa is, you know, normally, and, and if you've been to the homes over the past um, really 20 and 30 years, it's been that traditional historic tour and those tours will continue. Um, the coronavirus, and we'll talk about that too, is has, kind of played it a little bit differently and and the reality is is that we've had to change our business model to adapt to the limitations and the lack of just kind of free for all that the homes have normally been for tours and and accessing those facilities. And so we've created a reservation system where people can access the traditional tour or do it on their own through a cell phone tour, which we've always done the grounds tour by cell phone. But now we've transitioned that also into the home so that you could self-guide the tour depending on what your comfort level is. If you wanted to be a family unit together where you didn't wanna have a group of people in that tight space, you could go as a family unit and have a self-guided tour through that cell phone system or you can show and have a docent led tour as part of that. But the change that we're seeing coming forward and we have uh, Dina Bush, who's our historic asset manager comes to us with a ton of experience and she's really driving at how are we telling the story of our community, all of its histories, all of its opportunities and flaws with that. at and with the information that is historically accurate and also meeting our customers needs for the type of information that they're looking for. Um, It also, as we're starting to operate all four of the homes together as a unit will give us the opportunity to bring in um, customized exhibits or customized tours for certain thematic approaches that we're gonna be taking over the next year. We're in the planning phase for that right now and, and the launch will really be kind of post COVID pandemic Um, when we're a little bit more nimble, have a little bit better opportunity to celebrate um, what's happening at the historic homes um, and invite the community out um, to celebrate with us and talk about our history, frankly.
0: Yeah, you hit on um, a couple of things, and I think it could be summarized with two words, authenticity and flexibility. Um, Giving people relative content because, hey, people are smart. You know, they want to know what what the real stuff is, even as, as raw as it is. And, uh, and they want it delivered in a way that suits their needs. And I think you guys are, are doing a great job kind of with that a- adaptation and that, um, that approach moving forward. Um, you know, can you share what's going on with Mimosa? And I know that's um, obviously a, a hot topic in the community. It's uh, a lot of people are really interested in it. What are the plans for that, even if it's just a quick kind of um, run through?
1: Yeah, so, you know, right in, and I think, you know, it's almost been a year. So March of 2020, um, we had just begun and we're in the process of pushing out a public input process uh, for the grounds of Mimosa Hall and how those were going to be shaped into the future. And that's one of those projects that that unfortunately got shelved because of the pandemic and we're in that preparation phase of being dust to be able to dust that off right now the grounds are open on a very limited basis at Mimosa and the reason for that is if you've been on the property, you'll know that we have a um, what is an old residential pool on the property, um, and really from the safety perspective, is we need to manage that pool in a way to get it basically deconstructed and filled in. We won't be operating a pool on that site, um, whether it be recreation or otherwise, um, and in order for people to. Be safe while accessing that property. Um, We want to make sure that we handle the pool once we get the pool filled in the property and the grounds will be open to the public, similar to our other homes, Um, traditionally seven days a week kind of during daylight hours. Um, The final stage that we're in right now is finalizing the certificate of occupancy for the first floor. The second floor has some structural issues that we're going to need to manage when you transition something from a residential property into a commercially accessible public property. You've got to deal with ADA accessibilities. You got to deal with occupancy loads. Like what's the structure going to be able to hold? Um, How many people, you know, physically can you put into the second floor, first floor um, or basement? And then is it a safe place to do that? Do you have two exits, you know? do you have uh, elevators if you need them, all those kinds of things. And so the first step is first floor occupancy. And so we're sitting here um, right now, right in the middle of January, we have a budget request that will be put before the council as part of our mid-year budget request to finish that first floor occupancy, to fill the pool in that will really launch and kickstart our occupancy and use of that property. Um, But and I think right alongside of that, you have our Friends of Mimosa group who's been working diligently, really, even before I got here since 2017, on raising money for um, a solar roof project. And the intent is to make Mimosa Hall through our Friends group a net zero building. Right. Um, the fundraising is done. The permits have been issued. They're planning to kick off that project construction in the spring of 2021. So, you know, really right around the corner. We're looking at the end of February, beginning of March, assuming that weather cooperates to essentially redo the roof with that solar system uh, and kick that off and hopefully finish it by about the May time frame. Um, and so that helps us roll into the spring, rolls into the summer where we potentially could have for sure the solar roof done hopefully the grounds open hopefully the certificate of occupancy done again all of those things roll up into the priority of our our council so from staff we'll make a recommendation council will make that policy decision um, from a budget perspective on where we invest um, in those city assets and then make them available to the community
0: which we love because that you know obviously if that goes through that's new relevant product that we can market and sell um here at the convention and visitors bureau which means we can expose more people into the amazing assets that that we have here. Um, That's awesome. Well, and, you know, talking about something else coming down the pike pretty quickly here. um, Let's talk about the river master plan. And I know that Jeff, you've started doing presentations. Uh, There's a lot of public input going on with uh, how how all that's going to shake out, but to our listeners that maybe are unfamiliar, but for example, love the Chattahoochee, Mm -hmm. can you walk kind of through what that looks like uh, so they can get a feel for it?
1: Yeah, so, you know, as we talked about, the the assets that we have as a city are, are one of a kind, and when you look up and down the Chattahoochee River from a public access local control, the, the riverfront in Roswell is one of the few locations that is unencumbered by um, development, um, but is also Um, unencumbered by um, the national park system. They're adjacent to us um, on a couple of different places, but then um, we have local access and control. So we're able to have a little bit more, I would say development than what you would traditionally see in a national park systems from our playgrounds to restrooms, to picnic facilities, um, to larger lawn areas that are right adjacent to the river. Um, and coming alongside of that is our multi-use trail where we've got, you know, six, six and a half miles of multi-use trail, both asphalt and boardwalk along the Chattahoochee that is accessible by all members of the community, including our visitors. Um, the importance of the river park system, I think, has been highlighted and exponentially increased um, as a result of COVID. And you talk about kind of the impacts. What we see along the river system, um, and about a year ago, before the pandemic, we put uh, trail counters down along the river, just really wanting to understand not only how many visitors are we seeing, but also you know what is that uh, wear and tear to expect for a reinvestment back into our facilities long term, and we were hovering on an average of about twenty thousand trips a month, um, and that sometimes is an out and back trip. Um, you know we don't uh, th- there isn't really a way to distinguish. You know is that two trips per person or otherwise, but the reality is is the wear and tear if you do an out and back trip is doubled, so we're going to count you twice. Right. Uh, what we saw post-pandemic, so if you remember those days when we shut the parks down where you could still access our parks, but all the parking lots were closed. We kind of dropped down to about a 10 to 12,000 trips traveled during those two months. As soon as we opened the parking lots back up, it jumped up to 50,000 and it stayed there at 50,000 trips um, a month on average. Now here in December, okay, it dropped off a little bit because it got cold, so it dropped off to 30,000 trips. But the, the point being that that demand locally here in our community and as a, as a destination has just shown itself um, and exponentially increased because of the pandemic. And, and I think that that kind of return to nature, being able to get outside and walk um, when people couldn't get inside to a gym has really connected ourselves along the river. Um, and that leads right into the River Park Master Plan. So as part of our project moving forward, um, and if you if you could take a look at our, our River Park Master Plan and the economic development assessment associated with that, essentially the focus is the a property. That is the one portion of the River Park system that is currently undeveloped. It used to be a sand harvesting site that was operated by a family locally here until a few years ago. Um, and the the anchor of the River Park Master Plan at ASAND is a community building, is a children's stormwater garden, additional playgrounds and really sets the theme for the future of our community and the future development and redevelopment of that existing facility and the existing facilities along the river. Um, You know it, it is a huge vision and goal that the council and the community has cast for ourselves to redevelop that master plan and we estimate somewhere around 30 million dollars of investment um, along the entirety of the river to take what is kind of a roughly a 30-year-old park it's tired in some cases and really just needs a really big overhaul now i recognize that we're going to have impacts that we're going to have to continue to work on mitigating we've got traffic impacts and other parking impacts um, that we'll continue to work our way towards um, but ultimately it continues to be the signature, a signature destination of our community as a vibrant Riverside community. Um, and we wanna show that and show the assets that we have, not only for our current generation, but many more generations to come behind us.
0: Incredible, yeah, yeah. And I um, I know we're all certainly looking forward to that. And um, I had the opportunity to, to be a part of a, a few of those meetings and it's uh, it's very exciting. I think what's coming down the road for that ahead, um, in any regard, and right. and kind of in keeping theme, I would I would say with the river and the Chattahoochee um, and and just water in general, you know, when we when we sell these assets, uh, the Chattahoochee, when we promote them, when we, you know, do all that we can to bring awareness about them, whether it's uh, you know with the upkeep, the maintenance, the um, or you know with with tourism and promoting those partners, a lot of people don't realize how many different entities and and hands are involved in that. I mean, obviously the city of Roswell operates parks alongside it, but then you've got the national park system, uh, you know, down by Vickery Falls and Old Mill Park, you, you kind of traverse into the Chattahoochee River National Recreation area. Um, so, so talk about how many of those different kind of entities play hand in hand to one another. And is that seamless communication? Uh, is it something that you typically don't step on each other's toes or, or do you work together pretty often? You
1: know, I, I think the, the river in and of itself and the River Parks Master Plan, um, I think is one of those common, I would say projects and assets that, that most people see the vision and agree with the vision. Um, the, the huge advantage that we have along the river is that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, people before me saw the value in protecting where they could Um, natural areas and that's where you have the national park system. Um, They also saw the value that if you can't connect people into the river um, and and that's not just the Chattahoochee but if you can't show its value whether it's the Chattahoochee River or any other river it will get lost and in Georgia it gets lost behind the trees it gets lost um, behind in some cases as you look kind of upstream and downstream it gets lost behind private property or commercial development um, and things that aren't connected to us emotionally, personally, physically start to lose their value. And, and I think as, as an organization and multiple organizations, and you rattled off a couple of them, the National Park Service, Fulton County, the city of Roswell, our sister cities with you know, upstream and downstream and across stream with Sandy Springs, um, and then the advocacy groups, we have the Friends of the National Park Service, the Chattahoochee River Keepers that are all there generally with the same goals in mind of of allowing people to appreciate access um, and then ultimately protect the river in different ways. Um, And those partnerships at sometimes, like with any partnership, can be at odds with each other. The vast majority of the time, um, they're not at odds. We're here to partner with one another. And the reality is, is that we're all codependent on each other for our success. Um, We're codependent on the national park system um, because they're part of the regulatory environment that we exist in, along with Fulton County and along with the state of Georgia, frankly. Um, There's regulatory environments that we have to operate in and and self-check to make sure that we're developing along the river responsibly and appropriately. Um, but then also that we can help each other out when you start talking about um, enforcement where you know, not always can the National Park Rangers get down and pro- do enforcement action um, in their facilities, especially when they're busy and they're stretched out over 30 miles of river system. Um, and so sometimes we'll assist them and they will assist us where necessary to take enforcement action where it's needed within the city limits of Roswell. Um, and so that partnership is definitely um, is open and is is willing to help each other where we can um, and support each other's goals also where we can and so you know it's it's a time where we can pick up the phone and call each other and and talk out um, whether it be issues or conflicts or those kinds of things and work to a solution that's best for not only the park system but the community and try to find those places where we can agree on um,
0: wherever possible right 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 well man you said something I never even really thought of but in in speaking about making sure the assets don't get lost and being able to show value in those things so that they don't get lost. I never really thought that way, but you're absolutely right. Um, And I think your example of getting lost behind the trees, I mean, that's a literal example of how something like that can truly become lost. um, If if there's not a strategic um, plan around it. So um, that's good stuff.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I know there'll be some listeners out there that, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, the, the trees absolutely have value. It's not about cutting down all the trees so that we can access right. the river. It's about that strategy to make sure that people find the connection and and find those one locations where they can catch a glimpse or launch a kayak or enjoy a sunset or a sunrise. Those are the pieces that we're talking about. Um, and and it's it's the balance. And it's so important to be able to find the balance in in all that we do so that you have um, protection alongside of recreation and and they can really work together.
0: Absolutely. Sure thing. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, you know, you talked about COVID earlier and we talked about, uh, you know, the, the adaptation around the pandemic. And every episode we've talked to our different uh, partners, whether they're an organization or, uh, you know, a small business on on how they had to, to shift gears. But, you know, you, you all do a lot of programming that a lot of the, the different community members rely on and, and they look to. And that obviously um, shifted and and you guys had to do a lot of adaptation around it. So what were the biggest impacts that you saw both, you know, in terms of the physical space of the parks, I know you had to uh, do some things with, you know, closing down in terms of parking and and things of that nature, but also with the, uh, the programming of, you know, some of your classes and some of your activities, how did you get around all that and push through? (laughs) Man, you know, yeah you take a group of, of
1: recreation professionals like my team. And I I gotta say, I, I I am so blessed to have such an outstanding team. They, they are, they're nimble, they're workhorses. You know, we, like so many people have, have rewritten our operation plans. It feels like hundreds of times. And it seems like we keep doing it over and over and over again as new information, um, and, and new standards of, of operating come out. And, as i think back a year ago almost and you know in march and basically we got to the point of really just turning everything off and um, you know the That usually only happens. I mean, even, even Christmas day, we're out running and we're setting up for post Christmas day, which is our safe ride parking lots where people can bring their bikes and scooters and whatever else they may have out into the parking lots and, and ride their new Christmas present that they got from Santa in a parking lot where they can do it safely. And so you know, there, there isn't a day that we're not out doing something to benefit the community in our parks and facilities. And and to get to that point where we had to just kind of shut everything down, block the parking lots because of all of the unknowns. And probably like so many people, it feels like a lifetime ago um, that we had to do that. And then as we started to just understand, okay, what does the future look like in order to operate programs and allow park access safely? and. Um, that included a, a where well, really it's about a 55 page document for how we reopened all of our facilities for summer camps and that was our big push in the spring of as we looked at summer camp coming and there was a lot of conversation about people returning to work we knew that there is a subset of our population that uses our summer camp programs as their childcare in the summertime. And so their job and ability to to generate income for their family is hyper-dependent on us providing our service in the community so that their kids are taken care of in a safe environment. And so that was our mission. Um, And basically, we got the team together. We wrote all of our safety programs. So you know, dropping kids off in the parking lot, doing temperature checks in the parking lot, doing hand sanitizer, learning how to, you know, screen children before and after programs, and you know, I feel like we've, you know, gallons and gallons and gallons of hand sanitizer and hundreds of thousands of masks and you know, all of those things to to ensure to the most and to the best extent possible that people can safely operate within our facilities and. And, and the reality is, is it was a ton of work, but we were able to implement those standards and keep people safe, keep kids safe in our community while participating in the program, hopefully supporting families in a way that they felt safe to participate. And we, in a lot of ways, we, we decreased our numbers intentionally, changed our operating model so that we could keep numbers down, we could keep kids spread out. I'd say the biggest, um, disadvantage and things that are still in place is the indoor facilities are still closed just as a um, an operating model where you can't normally you could just come into our facilities you could go to open play gym um, play basketball or you come in and use the restroom and that's the portion of the operation that is still shut down just to manage our cleaning cycles um, and we're not doing any specialty rentals outside of our programs because really right now as we look at january it's about how do we manage the number of people in any given space and then clean up and disinfect after them? Right. Um, And and that's really the the model that we're using right now. And that will model we'll continue to use into the foreseeable future um, until we have some more certainty, um, you know, through the vaccine and through other portions of our operation. Um, And so it's, you know, as I think about it, that's probably the biggest thing that we did. And the reality is, is that, you know, as I look across the communities of Roswell and and businesses have had to do the same thing, we are all so interdependent and codependent on one another. Right. And we have a great industry. I was on uh, the phone with the directors at Alpharetta, the directors over at Johns Creek and Sandy Springs, and even further down into different cities in uh, Georgia, as we were just kind of game planning, how is it that we're going to do this? And we are, So blessed as a community that we have indoor spaces that we manage as a city and a lot of cities, they don't have the luxury of a number of gymnasiums and indoor space where they're using school spaces or churches or other community buildings and they literally just couldn't open um, because they didn't have access to facilities and You know, for that, I thank the community that's been here for 30 and 40 years, the staff before me, the city councils before me, past and present, that continue to invest in community facilities that really have shown up in these kinds of environments that we have access to, that were a game changer. They're a game changer as an attraction to our community, but then also in coronavirus times, um, they've been an outstanding asset that not a lot of communities have um, that we've been able to leverage
0: yeah there's no doubt about that uh and we saw that play out for the past many many months <laughs> that we've been involved right. in this uh well i would say not involved in the pandemic but um you know, on the other side of it hopefully right. but um well shifting gears too um you know we spent some time talking about uh, the natural elements and um and assets and then the, the obviously the historic assets but um one more term that a lot of our residents and i would say visitors uh, are hearing a lot more lately that has really found its way on a number of different agendas is pickleball <laughs> Yeah, and you and I spent some time playing that was my first um yeah I would say first introduction to pickleball the other day when we played and I went into it really not knowing what to expect and I will tell you I came home and I immediately ordered paddles <laughs> and Jeff the other night I got on online and I started ordering a variety of indoor and outdoor balls I'm, I'm hooked so right. and this is something that um you know obviously uh Rec and parks has established uh, you know pickleball courts we're, we're hosting tournaments things of that nature but i think there's a lot of opportunity for it to grow as well it's one of the mm-hmm. most popular sports in the country uh it's one of the fastest growing sports a number of different generations demographics and age groups play pickleball and are picking up right. on it do you see that being successful as a part of the Rec and park system
1: oh there's no doubt i mean there the the, the nature of pickleball, it's, it's a fast moving, fun sport for listeners that haven't ever played it. I encourage you. It is, it's all ages. Um, you know, and I've, I was introduced to pickleball, um, when I was in high school and I'm probably one of the few, as I talk to people that, you know, when I think about pickleball, it's, you know, 20, 30 years ago that I was introduced to it. And, um, you know, it w- the reality is, is that our PE teachers, I grew up in the mountains and we would have, you know, on average 10 to 15 feet of snow where I grew up. And so we had to find stuff indoors. And so that was what our PE session was for six weeks out of the winter. And it was awesome. And, and so, you know, that has grown over time to where communities of all ages, um, I go down and play with my kids. I have all the way from a second grader, all the way up to a, a freshman at, at Roswell High School. And, and all my kids enjoy playing, um, my freshman whoops on me, and so it is, um, it's a great sport, but but it, it transcends generations, um, you know, youngest all the way up to our um, active adults are out playing, um, it's a great transition from, for people that, you know, used to be able to run an entire tennis court, but for mobility issues or potentially other joint issues, can't do that anymore, but they can get out and they can play pickleball. Um, it's a great aerobic sport, um, both indoors and outdoors. And so we've started to, to really grow that sport through our racket division. And you got Witt and Scott who run that together. And We're really just trying to find ways to fit into the schedule. Honestly, I think that if we could figure out a way to to play pickleball in our facilities every day, people would show up every day, Um, you're starting to see, you know, lines being painted on existing tennis courts so that tennis courts can be used as a dual purpose type facility. I don't see a day where all of our tennis courts are going to be painted with dual lines where there is a future where and we'll likely build some more courts. I think that would be, it's an obvious kind of transition to me. When you look at our Grimes Bridge uh, courts that we have at that facility, and I drive by, whether I'm just in the park or dropping kids off, and, you know, I'll leave that park some days after soccer practice at 9 o'clock at night, and there's still people out playing. That, to me, just demonstrates that there is a demand. And I'll just put a plug in for our racket sports division. We transitioned into a reservation system right before coronavirus And that really just helps us manage numbers, but it also helps us evaluate demand. As we start to look at how many people are reserving our tennis courts and pickleball courts, we're able to really demonstrate, okay, there is a need here that is outpacing our existing facilities. Um, But we're starting to see them pop up in our homeowners associations and and it really is a part of our community. Um, And then we have some league plays. So of course, people can sign up in our leagues. Um, They can do drop-in or they can reserve courts and go out and play with friends. I encourage people and, and, um, like you said, you and I got to go out and play last week is don't be afraid just to pick up the paddle and go try. Right. Um, you're not going to be, I guarantee you, it's, you're going to feel fumbly at first because you're, you're hitting a wiffle ball around with a wooden or a composite paddle. Um, but you'll be surprised that if you just start looking in the community, and then as, as I think spring starts rolling around and you just start listening in your community, you're gonna start hearing that pickleball bouncing around in different courts in different places, get plugged in and just try. It's a great sport to go out with your kids. I can't say good things enough about it. Um, and then in the midst of the pandemic, it's also a great sport because you can go out and play singles if you know, you've got underlying health issues. Um, you can be outside and play. Um, and you know, then as you start to think broader, I was out, um, just outside of, uh, Lake Chateau over the weekend and we were just driving around checking out the community. And there's a huge complex with like 15 courts out there. And I also think that there's going to be some destination play and we'll start to see those pop up in our community in different areas. Um, sometimes those are operated by cities. Sometimes they're not, but they're a, a destination, um, in and of itself for tournaments or just for getting out and having fun.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. The uh, the one you're mentioning, too, uh, up in Hiawassee, that, you know, that was – and they'll admit this. I mean, these were run-down uh, tennis courts. I mean, they converted that entire thing, and now they're hosting all kinds of tournaments. And it's – um, you know, Jeff, when you and I were playing, we met a nice gentleman and got to play with him, too. And he said something that stuck with me. He said, you know, I used to travel with my golf clubs when I traveled to work. It's mm-hmm. much easier now to travel with a couple paddles and a, a couple balls. And um, I started thinking about that because, you know, Roswell sees a lot of business transient. Um, style business, people coming into town, you know, for quick meetings at their corporate headquarters or with clients and um, nothing against golf. I love playing golf, but man, if we can capitalize on some of those folks and expose the park system to those visitors too that's uh, that's all good and it's yeah you know potentially a revenue generators so. well
1: you're absolutely right and you know part of the the work that that are racket sports and you know kudos again to them and to Whit and to scott you know in in transitioning some of those indoor courts that we have painted on our gyms it gives that ability where you know golf isn't necessarily an all-weather sport um, you know you can't play golf uh, when it's raining, but shoot, you can get in if we can, you know, get you in inside during some of our pickup games during the day when, you know, generally the youth in our community are at school, and we can co-locate some of those programming elements into our gymnasiums and get, you know, either flexible scheduled adults or even um, retired adults into our facilities. That's our goal. You know, we we really want our our community facilities to to feel and to be a community asset, and so. The more that we can program those with with what the community is looking for, the better. Um, and you know, sometimes that means it gets a little confusing, or we have to tape lines, or put extra lines on a basketball court. But the reality is that affords us that opportunity um, for a variety of uses in you know what used to be a single use facility, and wherever we can do that, you know, you start to see emerging markets with um, lacrosse has really taken off really in the last decade right. and you, know, you play lacrosse basically on a, on a soccer field that you paint with lacrosse lines, and now you can host two different sports in that space. Rugby is another emerging market in our community, also can be played in a football field. So the more that we can find ways to leverage and use the community assets that we have for multiple sports, um, you know, cricket is right behind that as an emerging sport. And we're seeing lots of cricket happening in our community right now. Um, That can be played on our large baseball fields. And so you just start to try to find those niches um, in our community where possible. And we can, you know, utilize our facilities and co-locate activities and help people program. If you haven't ever heard of the game of Patonk, is another game that we play on occasion in our community. And we hosted last, well, this is now two years ago, um, a, what turned out to be a couple of international travels, but we had 200 Patong players here in our community down in modified courts that we worked with community organizations to be able to build to host a 200 person tournament. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there are so many cool assets that, that we have in our community, and, and we want everybody in our community, you know, from our cultural programs all the way through to our recreation programs, historic assets, to, to feel like they have a, commu- a place in our community, to feel represented in our community, but then have an activity that they enjoy participating in and find their own niche um, here as a part of our community in Roswell.
0: Man, I'll tell you. The other day, we took our kids to the playground at Roswell Area Park, and I looked out into one of the fields, in the outfield, and there were a bunch of guys doing something crazy. And it took me five minutes to realize they were playing cricket. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I had no idea. But and and I thought to myself, who would have thought we had cricket in Roswell? But that, I mean, I think it lends itself to what you're saying. We're, you know, we're um being welcoming of all these different things and and taking advantage of the space that we have to be able to offer those things to these individuals. So it's um, fantastic. Um, well, Jeff, you and I could talk all day long. I could, yeah, I know this could go for another three hours, but um, I know we've covered a lot of very relevant information that our listeners are going to find valuable. Um, certainly appreciate you, you being here. And every time we um, host an episode, we, uh, we ask our guests uh, a couple different questions specific to the destination. So you had um, a visitor, a fam- uh, friends and family, somebody coming in from out of town, maybe somebody you're hosting from another rec department uh, out of state, how would you tell them to experience Roswell?
1: Well, I would tell them that what they can expect coming into to our community is that it, it's a place of, you know, that, that feels like home. It doesn't matter if you live here. It doesn't matter if you're visiting here. It doesn't matter for what purpose you come Um, this is a place that feels like home and it feels very natural. Um, expect to be welcomed by the community, um, expect a vibrant, um, community that has hidden gems that you only find, you know, sometimes in big cities, but here we are a community of a hundred thousand and, and you can, you can travel onto, um, you know the east side of 400 and go out mountain biking and then you can transition yourself um, through our downtown corridor you can get out to leta thompson and you can you can build some sort of clay pot which i am terrible at and my instructors continue to try to help me out and i'm, I'm a just a lost cause but then you can fire that pot in a wood fire fired kiln Um, that has been built by the community as a donation for the future of our community in partnership with Kennesaw University and then travel into Canton Street to enjoy a bite and then finish at the river. You can do that all here in our community while feeling that sense of home and place and family, Um, but also be prepared to not want to leave. Be prepared to find an opportunity potentially for yourself um, and potentially for a business or for yourself to live in, um, because it is a place that can suck you in um, as not only the work-life balance that we have, but also the community and the people that you live around. So um, be careful what you wish for, because just by visiting, you may be a long-term resident.
0: Yeah, Jeff, I think after uh after this podcast goes live, you're probably gonna have about fifty real estate agents wanting to pull that audio <laughs> to you. <laughs> it is awesome. free for anybody. <laughs> it's um, man, and it's totally true. And I couldn't agree uh more. I mean, it, it's absolutely true and it's um it's where you wanna stay, you know, for a very, very long time. And mm-hmm. it's why so many of our, our residents do. And it's it's again, it's why so many of our visitors uh either come to visit here or try to relocate here. And that that's true. We hear that every weekend we're out and about in the community. Yeah. Um, so give us five words that best describe Roswell.
1: Man, it is, and, and I, I touched on them just a little bit, but, but I see it as it's a home. Um, it's a place to call home. It's family. It's community. It's vibrant. Um, there are opportunities everywhere, um, personal, professional. Um, this is a great place to be, and it it continues to get better, not only by the people who are living here, but by those that are leading it. Um, it, It's an outstanding place to be.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, we've covered a lot of different information, and I've got a feeling that after this, uh, when this podcast uh, is is posted to all of our different social media outlets, there are going to be a number of our listeners that want to obtain more information, want to find out Uh, How to get more info on the, you know, the programming, the different facilities, the different amenities. So uh, what's the best way to get info uh, for our Recreation Parks, Historic, and Cultural Affairs Department? You bet.
1: So roswellgov.com backslash register will drop you into all of our registration over 900 different programs. Um, all the way from young infants, all the way through our active adult programs. And so you can find it all there. We have just relaunched that registration page, so it will look and feel a little bit different, but it is uh, by far a great enhancement. Again, great team behind me. And then roswellgov.com parks. You can find all of the information about our parks and facilities Um, any upcoming things like us on our Facebook page um, and all of our other social media accounts. We love connecting with our community. Um, I will say just one other to keep an eye out for is we will be working our five-year strategic plan um, coming up uh, in the next year or so. And we love to engage the community on that. So put that marker on the table for people to be watching for uh, here in the next probably six months or so.
0: Good deal. And for more information on Roswell as a destination, On our parks, our dining, our hotels, various tourism partner organizations that we partner with, check out www.visitroswellga.com. Follow us on Facebook, Visit Roswell Georgia spelled out. Instagram, Visit Roswell GA. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another Visit Roswell episode on our Visit Roswell podcast. And we look forward to being with you next time. We appreciate it.